episode number 57, we are getting into the specific cycles of a narcissistic relationship. We're going to talk about love bombing. We're going to talk about devaluation and how do both of those things compare to a healthy relationship. We're getting right to it in three, two, one. Welcome to the Heal Your Burnout podcast, where us hustlers come together to have solution-focused conversations weekly. My name is Amber Connolly, a former burnt-out clinician and academic turned transformative coach. If you are a productive patty, miss I can do it all, or if you are ready to ditch the exhaustion, you have come to the right place. Each week I'll be providing you with wellness tips and trainings, inspiring you to look within, replace habits that are keeping you stuck, and offering insights to help you maintain your brilliance. If you are craving clarity, self-care, support, and mindset hacks, look no further. This is where your energy can be reignited and your hope can be restored. Welcome back to the show. We are continuing our conversation on narcissism. And as always, I'm going to say, I'm not a licensed psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I do not diagnose anyone. I am here to arm you with the tools that you need to better recognize what is an unhealthy relationship, what are difficult personality traits that you're going to want to avoid when establishing relationships. And as always, there's relationships that we simply can't avoid, whether it be a family member, a boss, someone we're co-parenting with, there's relationships that unfortunately we cannot terminate, but maybe by better recognizing what those patterns are, the better boundaries you could establish in your life and the less burnt out and exhausted you are going to feel. So all that being said, I know for me, one of the biggest things I struggled with when I started to realize that I was dealing with someone who wasn't in a healthy place, who had a difficult personality and had these narcissistic traits. I remember the hardest thing was one, the fear that if I left, this person was going to establish a connection with someone new and was going to magically change. And I thought if only XYZ, like if I stayed around or if I kept working hard or if I loved them better, that that this situation was going to change. I always felt bad for that person I was in the relationship with. I always thought, oh, they were really dealt a bad card and you know, they really need me. I can't abandon them because so many other things in their life are bad. I can't leave them, so I wanna be here for them and love and support them. And if I love and support them enough, then these cycles will end and their difficult personality will change. And that lack of empathy or that non-reciprocity in the relationship would change. It would go from one-sided to two-sided and it would be wonderful and it would be healthy. And I decided to stick around. And the biggest thing I believe that held me back was that fear of they're going to start dating someone else and it's going to go better and they're going to change and I'm going to miss out. But in the reality, I wasn't missing out on anything, literally nothing. I was um, just causing myself more pain, repeating the cycle that we're going to get into in our episode today. But that fear kept me from leaving. And then number two, I also genuinely was brainwashed. And I know that sounds like really funny when you say it out loud. I wasn't brainwashed in the sense where like 
I wasn't living my life because I most definitely was living my life. But when we get into the nitty gritty, when we get into the specifics of what does narcissistic abuse look like? What does that cyclical pattern look like? One of the major phases is devaluation. And one of the biggest pieces of devaluation is isolation and is the deepening of a trauma bond. And often a person in this situation feels like like they can't leave. Like they can't leave because they've been gaslit so much that they end up gaslighting themselves. And I remember being in that situation and thinking like, well, maybe it's me. Like maybe I'm losing it and that person is right. Like I've really just lost it. And I ended up gaslighting myself. And it, it, it doesn't take being gaslit very long to lose trust with yourself. And when you lose that trust with yourself, it's really hard to reestablish, which is why it brings me to the overall point of being able to recognize these patterns and being able to trust what you see, trust your observations, and choosing to establish boundaries or go no contact and walk away if possible is so healing. And for me, the most healing part was not just understanding these patterns and recognizing them, but understanding that the pattern wasn't personal. And maybe it's the clinician in me knowing what, how diseases manifest and and understanding that it's not personal. This is how this person is wired. This is how they are. And no matter who they interact with, they're going to show up consistently that same way. And when I took myself out of the equation and stopped making it personal and about me, it really brought a lot of healing and it, it really helped me a lot. So I hope that when you're listening to this, if you recognize these patterns in different areas of your life, that it offers you some healing and it gets you thinking and evaluating where does this cycle show up in your life, if at all. So while we're going through the different cycles or the phases of the cycle, I'm going to compare it to a healthy relationship. So the actual cycle of narcissistic abuse starts with something called love bombing. It then progresses into devaluation and then it progresses into the discard. And that cycle rinses and repeats over and over until there's a final discard, if that ever happens. There's some people who continue a a lifelong relationship with someone with these personality traits and, and the pattern just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. And other times it, it happens. The final discard happens and then that's the end of the story. So first let's get into love bombing. So love bombing sounds exactly what it sounds like, like a bomb of love. It's an explosion. So when you think about starting a relationship with someone with a narcissistic personality, some red flags to look out for are it's very just a big bang. It's picture perfect and it's very Instagrammable. This is like your honeymoon phase. They idolize you. When you first establish a relationship with a narcissist, they truly idolize you. They compliment you so much. They throw tons of compliments your way. They shower you with love, attention, affection, sexual attraction, gifts, money, things to impress you, and they put you up on this pedestal. And while they're doing that, they also 
start gathering information about you. They want to know everything about you. And it feels like they genuinely care and they genuinely understand you. And some people go really far where there's over-the-top gifts, lavish vacations, lavish dinners, and it, it is very grandiose. And the, there's this huge fantasy unraveling. And you might even find that when these things are happening, or if you've ever had a friend that went through this, or you've personally experienced this, other people, when they see it unfold, it's like, whoa, like that's moving pretty fast. But you know what? They seem really happy, so good for them. And like, you know, everyone moves on with their lives. But those two people in that connection, what's going on is this big love bombing explosion where the narcissist gathers information about the other person and starts to do something called future faking, faking the future and getting the person to start visualizing what could a future look like this person. And the narcissist even does something called mirroring while gathering information about the person where They'll hear different struggles or past experiences of the other person and they will reflect that back to them and will make it seem like, oh yeah, me too. We are the same. Oh, you went through that? Oh wow, that's terrible. Me too. So it's a very, um, it establishes this connection where people going through the love bombing phase will often say like, wow, this person really sees me and really gets me. So some other signs of love bombing are definitely grand gestures, definitely extravagant gifts, heavy compliments, excessive communication, needing to constantly be in contact, requesting constant attention, sending you pictures, asking for pictures, asking you how your day is going, telling you how wonderful you are, and big even soulmate claims like saying I love you very quickly they're really good at saying what they think you want to hear and it really does feel too good to be true you might even feel like you're being saved or you met your missing piece they put you up on this pedestal and they start immediately making plans about the future and it just feels like you're in a whirlwind and it's happening really fast. Now, these are like the in-your-face glaring red flags that are pretty easy to spot. But I know as someone going through it, it didn't feel that abrupt. It, it didn't. Like, it felt like gradual and it didn't feel like a bomb going off. But I will say, like, lots of compliments, lots of attention, lots of constant contact, and there are more covert signs and there are little, little signs of being put on a pedestal. So different things like comparing you to an ex-partner, like, oh, I'm so glad you're this way. Like my ex was never like that. Or, oh, I'm so glad you wear that. My ex would never wear that. Oh, I'm so glad you do this because my ex would never. Or, I'm so glad we went to this place. My ex would never go there with me. Those are little coy, covert ways to put someone on a pedestal. And I remember when, when that happened to me and when I was in that situation, it was always done in a way to be like, look at these things that this person did to hurt me. 
And I remember it left me with the impression of thinking, oh, well, I'll never do that. Like, I would never act in that way to hurt anyone like that. And it, it creates this like sly comparison that's purposely done to make you feel superior. And then also referencing like, oh, I told my family about you or I told so-and-so about you. Everyone really likes you. Like building you up and telling you, oh, I just really like you so much and faking this future. You'll also notice that during the love bombing phase, it's not just these grandiose things, those covert things, really telling a victim story. Like you'll notice, oh, woe is me. Like this is where I'm at in my life. And these are all the things that went wrong for me. And these are all the problems that I have. And just a very victim victim centric story and viewing them as the victim and feeling sorry for them feeling bad for them and feeling like they're this tender person who needs to be um tender person who needs to be like treated so preciously because they've been so wronged that's like another tactic too it's a way to build that sympathy and, and to build that trauma bond and deepen that So how does this compare to a healthy relationship? So unhealthy, all of these things, the bomb of love going off, grand gestures, covert comparison, being put on a pedestal, and the healthy relationship on the other side is obviously you meet someone new. You want to show up at your best. You want to put on your best face, like in the same way that you would for a job interview, but it's it's within proportion to how well you know this person. So for example, looking back, when I was in the love bombing phase, looking back, that person didn't know me at all. They just had this image of me that wasn't even true, but I just was so like, oh wow, like they really like me. Okay, I trust that. But it's like, no, if someone doesn't know you very well, They can't feel that way about you. And no one should be put on a pedestal because nobody is perfect. Like, yes, it feels good to get compliments, but when anything is done in excess like that, that should be a major red flag. Another thing is reciprocity. The proportion of how much you like someone and how interested you are in someone should be very proportional to the person that you're establishing a relationship with. It should not be over the top. It should be consistent. And in the same way, if someone is showering you with compliments and you're thinking, oh, do I feel that way about them? It could be really confusing because hearing compliments could feel nice, especially from someone that you think is attractive. But if you find yourself thinking like, whoa, I'm not there just yet. Like I don't feel comfortable enough to say that back to them. Then chances are then it's moving too quickly and and they're saying too much because you need to know someone before you make these grandiose claims. So um, the reciprocity and interest and time and energy and investment and as I mentioned, love bombing, it is about that showering phase. And initially when you first start dating someone and you first start getting to know someone, to some degree, being infatuated, being in that honeymoon phase is normal. Love bombing is over the top. It, like I said, it's very Instagrammable. It feels too good to be true. 
you get swept off your feet, you're being put on a pedestal, and it's really, it's a lot. It could be very overwhelming, and it doesn't just have to happen in a romantic relationship. Love bombing can happen in the workplace, a boss fluffing you up, feeding you all these compliments, love bombing you, buying you lunch, doing these things to create that trust. The whole purpose of love bombing, whether it's a friend, whether it's a boss, whether it's a romantic partner, the main goal is to fake a future with you or a future that involves you and to establish this connection and this not just a normal connection, but this deep desire and this quick, deep connection where you feel like if that connection were to be cut off, that you would be deeply upset and deeply disappointed. And they want to create the persona that, you know, I'm the one for you. And without me, you would be really lost because I feel so great about you and I like you so much and I respect you so much and you're up on this pedestal that you wouldn't think of leaving me. So that's the whole purpose of love bombing. Fake this future and get you to feel like they're the picture-perfect person. Here's the thing. No one is perfect, and especially people with these personality traits. People with these personality traits can't keep that love-bombing persona going on forever. Because at their core, these... I, I hate keep saying the word narcissist over and over, but narcissistic personality traits, beneath them is deep insecurity and deep inadequacy. Remember, narcissists have this core wound of not being enough, of being insecure, of their needs not being met when they were a child. They're, they have these deep unmet, need, unmet needs and they go out in the world and try to get their needs met everywhere else. And they're not capable of establishing healthy relationships, at least in my experience, dealing with them and learning about them and going through different trainings about them, they're not capable. These patterns that they run are predictable and unfortunately they're hardwired that way. And narcissists lack the ability to express empathy and that that's how it goes. So you need empathy to establish healthy relationships. In narcissistic relationships, it's never about, it's never what can we do together? What can we build together? How can we grow together? How can we be in this partnership together? It's always the narcissist thinking, what can I get from this person? And there's even a term for it. They call it narcissistic supply. So narcissists are always on the hunt for new supply to get their needs met. And whenever you're in a relationship with them, you're replaceable supply because when the devaluation phase comes, when those cracks start coming and you're not just along for the ride anymore like you were in love bombing, they're going to want to get rid of you because there's always new supply waiting to replace you. So, okay, we talked about love bombing. Let's get into the devaluation phase. The devaluation phase is where those cracks begin to form. Love bombing is a picture-perfect mirror. Those cracks begin to form in the mirror and... You're like, what the heck is going on? I know for me, in my experience, and I, <laughs> I've um, didn't I didn't truly learn this lesson until I did it twice because I've dated two different people with the same relationship pattern 
Luckily, I learned the lesson after the second time. But in the devaluation phase, those cracks begin to form. And one major red flag is when someone isn't capable of hearing you out or hearing your feelings. So you know what happens. You're just dating this new person in a healthy relationship. You're in the honeymoon phase. You start to really get to know the person and you notice things that might not work for you, that might bother you, that might hurt your feelings. And you know that feeling is is inside you and you know, oh, I have to talk to them about it. And you probably delay, you might wait a couple days and then you finally like work up the courage to tell them, but you're kind of afraid to bring it up because you think, oh, things were going so well, I hate to bring this up. And at least that's how I was. And probably because in my relationship experience, when I would do that, um, I remember my very first boyfriend, like I'm talking like really young, like like 16, whenever I would bring something up that bothered me or that hurt my feelings, he just would shift the blame like instantly. It was like, oh, it's your fault. Like, oh, you're bringing this up to me? Well, it's you. Like, it must be you. So um, that characteristic of someone not being able to take, not even criticism, because it's not criticism, but just hearing you out and understanding your feelings so that they could choose actions in the future that don't hurt your feelings. I don't even want to use the word criticize, nothing like that. In a relationship, it's all about understanding the other person better so that you could be compatible and work well together. And there has to be conversations about boundaries and feelings being hurt and what works for you, what doesn't. And in narcissistic relationships, that doesn't, that doesn't exist because narcissists are not capable of hearing that feedback because they can't express empathy. So when you do bring up something hurt your feelings, they're going to shift the blame to you. And that's one of the hallmark pieces of the devaluation phase and when they respond that way especially coming hot out of the love bombing phase you're probably thinking who the heck is this person I know for me I'll never forget the first time it happened not in that very first relationship because I was so young back then but over 10 years later I was dating this other guy and I remember the first time like I shared with him like hey I noticed this it hurt my feelings you know, what's going on. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you meant, but you know, why, what's going on? Why did you do this? And, and what's up? And I'll never forget instantly. It was just, no, it's you (laughs) instantly. Well, maybe if you didn't do this, I wouldn't do that. And I remember being so confused and thinking like, this is not the person that I've been around for the past few months. Like this is not the same person. And sometimes it takes just a few weeks for this side to come out. Sometimes it takes a few months, maybe even years. But whenever that love bombing ends, you can bet blame shifting, making excuses, always being the victim is definitely tied into it. In addition to other personality traits like contempt, this like standoffishness. And Dr. Romney says that narcissists act so contemptuous because deep down, they feel so much contempt for themselves. She calls it a projection of self-contempt. And this will come out as someone just overall distant and brooding. 
Like someone, that person in the love bombing phase that you could talk to and that is so interested suddenly is completely disconnected. They're on their phone way more and they just seem like they can't be bothered. And their side snarky comments like increase. Suddenly that sweet person is replaced with this person who's like suddenly they'll say they're sarcastic, but actually they're just mean. They'll have these snarky side comments and and they're hurtful and it doesn't add up because that person from the love bombing phase wasn't like that at all. So your brain is just really trying to make sense of what's going on. Suddenly put downs are added in and something called baiting and breadcrumbing and gaslighting come up. So love bombing done and you'll notice they're trying to hook you in to fight with them, to argue with them to get into conflict with them. Because if you look at most difficult personality types, different people who are difficult, what you'll notice is they lack healthy relationships in their life. So they don't have healthy relationships. They are this kind of like tornado of drama and they're gonna try to suck you into it and bait you into arguments and bait you into drama because that's what they do. And they breadcrumb you. So they'll bait you into an argument and then they'll throw you just enough attention or just enough of an apology to keep you around. And then when another argument comes up, they're right back to telling you you're crazy and you've imagined it and they're gaslighting you again. Remember, gaslighting is when someone denies your reality. When you share your feelings, when you share your observations and the other person just straight up tells you you're crazy, you've lost it, that didn't happen, and completely falsifies your reality. And really, in the devaluation phase, I remember thinking, does this person even like me anymore? But then just when I would think that, they would breadcrumb me enough to suck me back in. They would show me just enough attention, do something nice, do something to show me glimpses of the love bombing phase where it left me thinking, oh, okay, like they do because they did this. And I kept thinking they're bound to go back to that person that they used to be, but they never would. They would just show small glimpses of it, but it was never the same. It never the same. And suddenly different different things, it wasn't just put downs. It wasn't just side snarky comments, but it became very personal and attacks about things that I genuinely cared about. Because if there's something that narcissists really, really, really don't like, it's seeing other people happy. And it's seeing other people care about things other than them. Because remember, all they care about is getting the supply, getting the attention, getting the energy, getting whatever it is they get from the other people in their life. It's all transactional. It's not empathetic. It's not loving. It's transactional. And attacks could get personal I know for me this is one that like makes me laugh really hard and it makes me laugh really hard now and even in the moment it made me laugh really hard and this was like at the very end of this this crazy situationship (laughs) if you want to call it that I, I remember um I was running my business at the time and having a lot of fun doing it and and growing it and learning a lot along the way And I decided I wanted to teach fitness. And in the area that I live in, it's small town, northeastern PA. 
and we got our first like boutique fitness studio, corporate run fitness studio. We have boutique fitness studios here, don't get me wrong, but this was the first one that was a chain. Like we had Planet Fitnesses here, but we don't have Soul Cycle here or um, Core Yoga here or Flywheel, any of the big box fitness brands we don't have here because our area is too small. And frankly, I think a lot of these things stay away from our area because the cost of living is so low. I don't think they think that our local economy could support something like this. But, I mean, I don't believe that to be true. I think that our area is ready for something like this, which is why when Orange Theory Fitness came to my town, I knew I was like, this is awesome. This is my opportunity to not only like get back to going to Orange Theory because I used to go there when I lived in Florida, but um, my opportunity to get back into teaching fitness. And I was so excited about it. And I remember like talking about it all the time. Like, I can't wait to find out when I could start coaching and when I could go to training. And I remember like me and this person were in a social situation. And at this like small get together, I think I think we were bowling. Someone was like, I can't wait for that Orange Theory place to open. Like, I'm, I'm excited to try it. And then like people started chit-chatting about it. And I remember just like, I couldn't even help myself. I was like, I'm so excited for Orange Theory to open. I'm going to be a coach there. I can't wait. And it's going to be so great. And I remember like talking about it so excited. And then we left bowling and this person was like, Amber, I think it's really, what, what were the words? I can't remember the exact words, but it was something to the effect of, I can't, don't you think it's too soon to tell everyone that you're coaching at Orange Theory when you didn't get the job yet? And I was like, no, I'm going to the audition. And you know, at the end of the day, like who the heck cares? You don't get a, it's a part-time for Funzie's job. Like I do the audition and, and one, I don't think I'm not going to get it. I'm most definitely going to get it. And uh, two, who the heck cares? But he was so like, don't you think that's embarrassing? And um, like trying to put me down and like kind of went on this little rant, which I think was done um like with the intention of um, putting doubt in my own mind and seeing if he could rattle my own confidence. But um, I just remember saying like, look, I'm not performing cardiothoracic surgery at Orange Theory. I'm just going to go to their training and then audition to be a coach. And uh, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do it and do it well. And uh, I just remember thinking, like, holy crap. Like, this person's ego is so fragile. Like, can't take seeing someone else be excited about something. And it was almost like an adult temper tantrum. It was like, mm, you can't be happy because I'm not happy and I'm miserable. So I'm going to put you down. And it was just so weird. Like, looking back... Um, I don't know, like, I must have been concussed or something, like, I don't know how I ended up in that situation, well, I do know how I ended up in that situation, and we're going to talk about that in another episode, we're going to talk about, like, what puts you at risk for getting involved with um, someone with these difficult personality traits, but um, I was at a time in my life where I was a prime candidate to end up in this situation, but looking back from a healthier place, oh, man, red flags all around and um this devaluation phase when you're going through it you don't really want to believe that it's happening so when it happens you're confused your brain is trying to make sense of it and 
you're looking for excuses to stay. You're looking for hope. You're clinging for hope. And you might even find yourself more than likely compromising your standards, your boundaries, and just hoping that things are bound to go back to normal at some point. And I think the biggest indicator is if you notice that someone is like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and they're one way out in public, but they're another way around you, eh, that's a big red flag. And anyone that is so charismatic and so nice around other people, but behind closed doors is verbally abusive or emotionally invalidating, stonewalls, projects onto you their own issues, tries to take control, triangulates, any of these things, and any of these traits, if you recognize any of them, you you just gotta run. And what is stonewalling? Stonewalling is where a person just completely disengages in conversation. So in the same way that a stone wall is just there, that's what happens in conversation. They might give you one word answers, they might change the subject, they might smirk at you, they might just completely disengage, might go on their phone, they stonewall, they they transport out of the conversation. And triangulation, so something that narcissists are known for is their ability to suck other people into their drama whirlwind. So narcissists often surround themselves with, there's even a term for it, called flying monkeys. People around them that support their crazy narrative. So the people around that are going to listen to their smear campaign once the discard happens, they do something called triangulation. And triangulation is when they will they will talk with you about other people, about like another person. So person A talks to person B about person C. And then person A will go to person C and talk about person B. So forming a triangle. So two people in a conversation, instead bringing a third person into the situation and talking about both people. And all of it sounds, when you hear about triangulation, all of it sounds like very high school or very elementary school, but there's a deeper manipulation tactic about it because you'll notice narcissists usually talk about people a lot and resent other people and their happiness, but then they also talk about the person they're in a relationship a lot because during the devaluation phase, they begin to devalue the other person and knock them off their pedestal. So that triangulation leaves the other person thinking like are they saying all these things about me to other people and they're just sucking other people into the mess and making comments about what other people say that aren't necessarily true they're just all about creating the drama and shifting the blame and there's even a tactic besides stonewalling called word salad where they'll just rattle off words that are nonsense, that don't make sense to anything that you're sharing. And it usually happens when you're sharing your feelings because they just can't be bothered. They just can't be bothered, they don't care, and you're off your pedestal. So if anything's too hard for them, they're just gonna be out. They don't want to engage with that. They're not capable of engaging with that. So in the next episode, we're going to get into um, the discard. Like what is the discard phase? What does that look like and how does that compare to a healthy breakup 
and we'll just keep moving through the cycle. I will catch you in the next episode. Hey friend, before you leave, please head on over to iTunes podcast and search for Heal Your Burnout. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, give us a five-star review, and help us spread the word about our show. I would love to connect with you on social media. My Instagram handle is at Amber underscore Connolly underscore. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love and light, and I can't wait to keep moving forward with you.